I'm Dr. Nicole Byers, clinical psychologist and brain health expert, and you're listening to The Bold Life Podcast, the podcast for working moms who are feeling stressed out and overwhelmed trying to do it all. As a working mom with big career dreams, I know what it's like to not have enough time in the day and to lack the skills and confidence to reach your goals. I have spent years understanding how our brains work and learning what holds us back from having the courage to reach our dreams. Each week, I'll be sharing practical strategies to help you find more time in your day, build your confidence, fight back against mom guilt, and reach your goals. If you want to learn how to thrive both at home and at work, you're in the right place. Hello, and welcome to the Bold Life Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Tamara Souls to talk about how we can be leaders at home, including how we can teach our kids to be confident little humans without feeling exhausted when they start saying no to everything like my preschooler currently does. Dr. Souls is a psychologist, parent coach, and mom of twins living in Montreal, Canada. She's the founder of the Secure Child Center for Families and Children and the host of the podcast, This Hour Has 50 Minutes. Tamara is also the creator of the online parenting course, No More Power Struggles, using positive parenting and the power of connection to help your child thrive. She earned her PhD in child clinical and school psychology from McGill University in Montreal and worked for many years in the early childhood mental health clinic at the Children's Hospital of Los Angeles. Welcome, Tamara. Thanks for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. This is a pleasure. I'm excited. I have lots of questions for you. <laughs> Before I start with all of my questions, I'd love if you could uh, you know, walk us through what got you interested in this area? How'd you get started? Of course. You know, I've always, always loved working with kids. I was the kid who was trying to babysit the kid that I was maybe a year older than. <laughs> nice. <laughs> you yeah. know, and and so I always knew I wanted to work with kids and I don't think I have the patience to be a teacher. <laughs> <laughs> but honestly, you know, my best friend has a grandfather who was a famous neuropsychologist. And, you know, growing up, we would sit in her living room when we were little and look in her textbooks and we would take the like colorblindness test in the, in the textbooks. And so we were always fascinated by it. And so as I got older, you know, I just loved psychology and I loved kids and I loved learning about them. And of course, I think as many psychologists, we also turn to psychology to make sense of some of our own experiences too. So it was like that perfect storm of personal interest, personal investment, and um, this desire to advocate for kids. And so I loved the idea of working particularly with parents to kind of set kids off on that trajectory of secure attachment that can set them up for success over the lifespan. So I've always been drawn to working in the field of psychology within that sort of parenting early childhood mental health sphere. That's fantastic. I love that. So I know you do a lot of work with families. Um, my background, as you know, is in neuropsychology. Yeah. And so I think a lot about learning all the time. I think about all the time, I probably overthink this, you know, <laughs> what I'm saying and how this teaches my daughter about the world. For example, she's almost four. And basically, her first answer, like I said right now, is no to everything. Allison, come for supper. No. Allison, do you want to go outside? No. Allison, do you want ice cream? No. Right? Funny, <laughs> like I laugh, but also super frustrating. Yeah. But then I start thinking about, you know, I work with mostly adult clients and all the men and women I know who really struggle to say no, 
later in our lives as adults. How adults, we say yes way too much and we end up feeling burnt out and exhausted. So I guess my question is, you know, as parents who want to raise strong, independent and compassionate future adults, how do we find this balance of autonomy for our kids? But also like sometimes I just need her to put her shoes on, right? (laughs) What do you suggest? How do we do this? I love what you're saying. I love, I love everything about it. You're (laughs) absolutely right. It's so challenging, but I just love that you're already thinking about the fact that you want to find that balance between allowing room for that assertion and um, at the same time <laughs> getting through the frustration of right. the daily things that need to get done, right? And especially parenting a daughter, I always say it's hard work raising a strong woman, right? Yes. And so that's it is that the work that we put in as parents now of these little girls, but of course it's not limited to little girls, really sets the foundation for raising women who are confident and assertive and can set boundaries and assert not only their boundaries, but can assert their desires too. And so that's, that's a lot of work as a parent. And it's hard and it's frustrating, of course. But of course, at the same time, number one, they learn more from what we do than what we say. So modeling our own boundaries regularly and being able to assert ourselves in our daily lives, they see that too. And they see us protecting family time or protecting our time so that it doesn't bleed over into their time. So they see that. So that's important too. They see me modeling my boundaries and my ability to say no and in a you know kind but polite and assertive way. Um, so there's that. But then on the flip side, there's how do you balance the daily struggles. And I think one of the keys to that is making sure that you're setting no's necessarily, right? I think that a lot of us have what I call the unexamined no's. So we say, like, we say no a lot to limits. And, you know, there's a lot of things that kids want to do, and we say no to it. And it kind of fosters that no back from them, right? And so we find ourselves often as parents, micromanaging so much of the day. And when we do that, we get more pushback from them, right? So the more that we try to control their daily lives, no, you can't do this, you have to do this now, now it's this, now it's this, now it's this, go pee now, go do this, go that, then they're more likely to try to push back and get more of that, right? So the first step to reducing no's from your child is to make sure that the expectations that you're setting are appropriate, that you are giving them room for sort of freedom and flexibility, that you're not overscheduling them so that they have room for the downtime and the play. Because a lot of times the no is coming from, I don't want to finish playing. I've only had 10 minutes of playtime. I don't want to go do that thing now, right? And I see this often with families is they'll go to swimming lessons or baby gymnastics or whatever it is. And these things are all potentially great, But if the cost is chaos of getting ready and your stress of like, we're going to be late and now you you have to stop playing to go do that, we need to really examine what benefit is actually coming from that. So really pulling back our expectations of our kids, giving them some freedom, giving them some flexibility. And then the other key component I find is collaboration. So again, moving away from this top-down control-based kind of model of parenting where we dictate what our children do all the time and allowing for some collaboration. So some of that is just choice, right? 
um, getting your shoes on. Do you want to put your coat on first or your shoes on first? Do you want me to help you with your shoes? Do you want to do it by yourself? Now, I am fully aware that none of these are magical solutions that make <laughs> it go smoothly 100% of the time. But the truth is, is that is because they are human beings that we cannot control. And when we let go of this notion of feeling like we can control our children, it helps, right? So these are all tools that will help to increase collaboration and to decrease pushback. Um, but it's not foolproof. And viewing this as a stage of life, right? That this is a season and it's the season of pushback. It's the season of testing how much control I have, testing my ability to say no, testing that will my parent lose their, you know, you know what, if I give some pushback or can they calmly and, you know, empathetically still hold that boundary for me. So it's a season, as you said, you know, those preschool ages are magical in so many ways, but also hair pulling in many other ways. So yes, so, yeah, those are some of the keys, reducing expectations, setting appropriate and only necessary limits, you know, reducing over scheduling and adding some choice and collaboration. I love that. And I really like one thing you mentioned about kind of remembering that this is a stage. And I know this is something that has like helped me throughout ever since I became a parent is having yeah. friends who were further along than yeah. me. And whenever I feel like, oh my God, I'm a giant failure. Like I'm a terrible parent. Like I can't get through this. And I have a friend whose kids are slightly older than mine. And she's like, oh yeah, like that passes. Right. Like that gets, that's done. Exactly. Like, yeah, that sucks. Like that's really hard, but exactly. they'll move forward. That's yeah. it. And you know, I find that for many parents, and I'm sure I, I get caught up in this sometimes too, a lot of times our reactions to situations are much bigger because in that moment, whether we're aware of it or not, we're projecting this behavior out 10 years or 20 years and being yes. like, oh my God, I can't have a kid who can't even follow directions, right? But you don't. You have a four-year-old who's doing exactly what a four-year-old is supposed to do. Yes. You don't have a 24-year-old who's you know, not cooperating with whatever she needs to cooperate with. So it's hard sometimes as parents to stay in the moment and say, no, this is exactly what my child should be doing at this stage. And to embrace that and not to project that into the future. It's tricky. Yes, agreed. But so important. That's right. And I know for me, I feel like I do a better job of handling all my parenting situations when I can keep some of that in mind and not freak out myself. Because once I start to get stressed, like, oh my gosh, we need to go, like, we need to get this done. Like, I'm not able to think through those problems as well, right? Like, I forget to give her the choices and I forget to stay calm. And then she gets riled up because I'm like, oh my God, we have to go, right? Yes, yes. Mindset is everything, right? As we, as we both know. And I'll, I'll use even the swimming example in my life. I remember when they were younger and we were doing swimming lessons in these kind of group formats. And I remember... I was like a tornado in the house, getting the swimsuits, getting the this, getting the that. And I'm saying like, get your, you know, you do this, you do this. And trying to get my husband riled to like, so yeah. I'm this tornado. And I, one day, I don't know, it was almost an out-of-body experience. I could kind of see my tornado and no one else was increasing their motion <laughs> because of my tornado. And I thought, wow, this is, not only is it not good for me, it's not even effective. Like, right. No one yes. else is hurrying because I'm this tornado speeding around. So I had this sort of witnessing of what was happening. And I thought, okay, well, if my crazy rushing around and barking out directives to people is not even helping them move along, 
what am I doing? (laughs) That's so ineffective. I completely shift and, you know, approach that entirely differently. And uh, so, yeah, thankfully I had that moment of (laughs) clarity. Right. That happens, I think, for, for all of us as parents. We get caught up in this whirlwind and we think we're helping a situation and it may actually be making it worse. Totally. I've been there a million times. I feel you on that one, for sure. Uh, Something else you mentioned, I'd love to talk more about this, is kind of how we start to project into the future about, you know, what this might mean long term. And I know I do that all the time, too, right? I think, like I I said, I probably overthink about many of these things, probably because I'm a psychologist. I remember years ago working with a child psychologist colleague, and she says she's like, it's like the worst because you know all this stuff. And so you don't want to fall into those traps, but it just means more pressure on you. Right. So anyway, so I do do this and think about like, you know, I need her to be able to collaborate with people. But I also at the same time, you know, especially raising a young daughter, I worry about like, I don't want her. I don't want to say things like you're being bossy or, you know, like I want her to be that independent woman later. So do you have any kind of tips for parents on how to how to manage that mental struggle? Like, how do we get started with shifting that mindset? Yeah, that's a, a great question. One of the exercises I do um, with parents that I work with, either in the online course or just doing one-on-one work, is I ask them to identify what are the characteristics that you want to try to foster in your child, you know, long-term. And I don't mean like, I want them to be good at math. I mean, like you want to foster resilience or independence or critical thinking, right? Often what I find is that there is a huge disconnect between what parents say they would like their kids to embody as adults and what we're doing to help them get there, right? Interesting. So we, we want our kids to be critical thinkers, but we don't want them to argue with us about any <laughs> rules. Yes, totally. <laughs> right? Or we want them to be independent and yet they've made it to nine years old and they've never been given a responsibility in the house. So, you know, those are just two examples. And, you know, we can take the bossy example, right? We want them to be leaders, but we are so worried often that they will alienate their friends by being too directive that we kind of squash down that, um, you know, that, that leadership, if we want to say it that way. And so much of it is framing, right? And every time a parent comes to me and says, she's stubborn or he's stubborn, I will say, are they determined, <laughs> right? Like, right. These, these all have flip sides to them. And so much of it is mindset, as you said. So it's looking at like, Yes, those behaviors are challenging in the moment. So if a child is not considering what a friend is wanting, we might want to support them in that skill. But how we support them in that skill makes all the difference. So for example, if I see my child is being, you know, overly directive in their play and not allowing room for the other friend, I might say to my child afterwards, I wonder what it was like for Sophie when you were playing that and you know she she kept playing the things that you suggested i wonder what was that that was like for her and so rather than coming in and saying like okay i think you need to now let sophie choose and now i've embarrassed my child and right. now i've made them feel like crap because you know i'm correcting their behavior and i may inadvertently be giving the message that they shouldn't be stepping up and and being these leaders and giving these ideas So we can use curiosity instead to 
reflect on some of those interactions and maybe support them in, in moving those along without, you know, risking reducing the traits that we want. So whether it's determination, whether it's leadership, whether it's assertion, you know, just coming at it from a place of curiosity and making sure that we reframe it for ourselves first. Because if we can't make that cognitive shift ourselves, we're going to go in there thinking this is a, you know, this is a a deficit rather than a skill that needs to be honed. Right, right. Yeah, I like that. We've been working on that at home with variable success. I find Allison, she's almost four. She can't quite take that perspective of someone else yet. But what she can do is, you know, when a friend, you know, grabs a toy from her and she's telling me about it later. And then we talk about like, well, how did that feel for you? Not very good, right? So then when you take toys from someone else, that might be how they feel too. And like, I can kind of see her little brain. Thinking about this, right? It's just starting at that age. And you can do it through play too, right? So if you're engaging in play with your child, you can, you can model that and you can have your character say, you know, I, you know, I keep doing what you want to do. Can I have an idea too? You know, so you can model it through play also. And over time, as you said, like they just, you start to see that germinating and then starting Mm -hmm. to take root, right? And that's, what parenting is, is we don't expect immediate results. We're planting seeds and over time they take root and flourish, but that taking root and flourish is a long process. Yes. Yes. And I think that as everything that we try to do in terms of changing our behaviors, I think that's the hard part, right? Is like, she's four right now and I'm trying to think 15 years down the road. And it's like, it's hard to see that progression. And like I said, for me, what's really helped is seeing friends who've gone through it before and they're like, oh yeah, my kid did the exact same thing. And I'm like, okay, well, your kid's doing great now. So like it must work out, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, I'm probably going to butcher the quote, but I think it's Laura Markham, a psychologist who says something like, if your child's annoying you about something, don't worry. In six months, you'll be annoyed about an entirely different thing. (laughs) Yes. Oh, yes. That is so true. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Like each time we get past a phase, right? I'm like, success. Oh, no. New, new trials and tribulations. That's it. But the the flip side to that is, and I I say this often, is that your child is not a perpetual self-improvement project, right? Right. You're, You're fostering skills, but we there's always something to work on. I'm grateful that nobody is sitting there over me all the time being like, yes, you need to work on this now. And now you need to work on this because Lord knows I have a lot to work on. But um, so it's a a hard balance. Of course, we want to help our children thrive and flourish, but not constantly be looking for things that they need to get better at. Yes. That's a really good point. I never thought about it like that of like, how would I feel if someone was like micromanaging over my shoulder, pointing out all my mistakes all the time, right? Like that would be frustrating and no wonder I have temper tantrums, right? Right. (laughs) Speaking of temper tantrums, I would love to get your perspective on helping kids learn about emotions. So Allison, she she is a passionate young woman and she's got some big emotions right yeah. now. And I, I want her to be able to explore these emotions with, without having, you know, giant temper tantrums in the middle of the library. Right. But I, I know, like I said, from, from my work, I work with so many adults who we really ignore our emotions, right. And we push them down and this can lead to so many problems for us as adults. So, you know, what's a great way to start talking about emotions with kids? Do you have any strategies for doing this? Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, as you say, you start by just 
creating an environment in which emotions are talked about freely, which already generationally, I think we're getting a bit better at, right? I think it's overall in our culture is a relatively novel concept. Um, So just building that emotional intelligence early on by narrating and describing emotion and reflecting emotion, right? So very early on, you know, you look frustrated that blah, 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 right? So you're reflecting what you see. You're not always going to get it right, but that matters less than the fact that you're just building that um, number one space to talk about emotion, number two, that emotional vocabulary and that awareness. So that's important to do. At the same time, it is also very important to remember that our role as a parent isn't to stop a tantrum. Because I think so many parents will ask me, like, how do I stop my child from having a tantrum? We don't. That's not the goal, right? And stopping the tantrum is actually what leads to the belief that emotions aren't okay, right? Right. What happens is parents will kind of swoop into a tantrum and they'll try to distract or like, (laughs) look at this shiny object over here, (laughs) right? Yeah, yeah. They try to shift the mood instead of just allowing those emotions to exist and kind of ride the wave, right? And I think because again, coming back to this notion that we project so far into the future, and we worry about having kids who can't handle their emotions and can't manage their emotions, that we feel like we're concerned when they have big emotions or big meltdowns and so on. And we feel like we need to give them tools to stop them. And, and it's not about that. It's really about showing that um, if anything, emotions can be tolerated. And I think that's the cultural lesson that we need to learn because so many people can't tolerate their emotions. They chase their emotions away with whatever distraction it may be. Maybe it's TV, maybe it's sex, maybe it's alcohol, maybe it's drink, whatever. We chase emotions away because we believe we can't tolerate them. And so teaching your child emotion regulation in huge part is teaching them to tolerate emotion and that it comes in waves. And to be able to do that means that you as a parent have to tolerate their emotions. And that is, I think, the hardest part of parenting for so many people, because understandably, we are triggered in so many ways when our kids have meltdowns, not the least of which is if we love our children, we don't want to see them upset right? at the very the very basic of it, not to mention all the other reasons why it could be triggering. So it's so hard as a parent to just be able to say, I'm going to allow space for this emotion and allow it to kind of ride out to show that I, I've got this, you know, you can be, you can have your storm and I'll be that lighthouse that is there ready to guide you and I can guide you, but I can't pull you in you know, it's not a tugboat. Yes. I'm a lighthouse. So I can't pull you in, but I can be the calm, stable presence next to you while you're having this, you know, difficulty. So I'm not going to try to shut it down. I'm not going to shame you for having these big meltdowns. I'm not going to tell you that you shouldn't be reacting to this, that it's not such a big deal. And, you know, you shouldn't just be getting upset over a lollipop or whatever it is, right? So many messages that we give our kids about, why their reaction to a situation isn't justified or valid, right? Right. It is 100% justified from their perspective. I often give the example of like, if I was, you know, if I was writing and my husband just came up and pulled the pen out of my hand and took it to write, I'd be pretty pissed. I'd be like, yeah, what are you doing? Like, 
you can't just take my pen. But right. often with kids, if another kid came and took a toy out of their hands, we're like, you know, it's okay. We'll just get the pen back. You know, we'll get the toy back. Right. And like, we forget, I think that, no, that that's a legitimate reason to be upset. Now, over time, we learn that if my husband takes my pen, I don't have to scream and cry on the floor for an hour, but I can still feel annoyed or frustrated or whatever. So again, we're coming back to this notion of allowing for the space for that feeling to happen, being the calm presence next to it, and modeling as they get you know, old enough, modeling some self-regulation strategies. So, you know, we can take some deep breaths or do you, should we look at a book together? Do you want to draw? You know, is there some sensory tools you want to play with some Play-Doh or something? So we can model those things and we can introduce them. But again, we can, all we can really do is introduce them. We can't force a child to take them up. Otherwise, we're just introducing another power struggle, right? That's right. why my course is no more power struggles. Yes. We keep inviting these power struggles in in various ways. And so all we can do is put out an invitation to use a strategy. And, you know, over time, they will start to use them more and we can practice them at calm times and, you know, use what we know about how the brain learns to kind of rehearse things in non heightened and agitated states. So we can practice them in play, we can practice them in role playing, we can practice them at calm times. But inevitably, what happens is, you know, I will work with a family and we will work with the child to come up with some ideas of what they can try when they're upset. And then the parents will come back and say, I, I don't get it. They don't, when they're mad, they don't want to do any of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. <laughs> they don't. It's a process. Like it takes a lot of time. So again, these are invitations to use tools. We model them. But the most important thing is that we recognize that young kids, you know, like Allison, they're at the stage where their brain is not developed enough to use emotion regulation strategies. Yes. Right. Yeah. She is not going to calm herself. And so it's precisely why timeout doesn't work. You know, a kid just does not have the brain capacity to do that. (laughs) Yeah. So a lot of it is planting the seeds again, giving the space, modeling, and then expecting that over time, those strategies start to take root. Yeah, I love that. I, I do this all the time and catch myself doing it as I you know, try to get her to explain to me what's going on and she can't, right? right? And then she just gets more frustrated. And then I'm like, like, I don't even know why she's crying half the time. Like, I don't even know what it is. Right. So I'm like, oh my God. And I'm like trying, like I'm half laughing, like half like, oh my gosh, like, why are you throwing yourself on the floor? And it's, you know, we, I tried it because that's what I go to, right. Is trying to understand why I'm upset, but she just can't do that yet. No, you're exactly right. And, you know, I'm smiling because it reminds me of um, my husband is not an anxious person at all. He's the most, okay. easy, we're a good match. He's the most easygoing guy ever. But when either of our children get hurt, you just see like immediately he's like, yes. <gasps> if they're crying, they could be like bawling and he's going, what happened? Tell me what happened? What happened? And you yeah. can see, and I'm like, they cannot tell you what happened right now. And clearly they don't, you know, they don't need to go to the hospital right now. We don't, right. Like, what are you going to do with that information anyway? Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. His own anxiety, understandably. And it's not like I don't care. Of course I care. But, you know, I always just try to just sit with them for a minute and try to soothe. And again, coming back to this notion of like riding the wave, even if it's pain, 
we're just trying to, you know, calm that part of the brain that's that, you know, reactive safety, that primitive part of the brain, right, that downstairs brain, just trying to calm that first. And then when we can calm that, then that upstairs brain that has higher order thinking skills of logic and reason and problem solving um, can start to come a little bit back online if they have any of those skills yet, depending on their age. Right. But we need to just calm them first. And so we have to tolerate our own anxiety sometimes of the not knowing like what happened, what was the situation and just calm everybody down <laughs> and, right. then, and then work through it. But yeah, it's hard. Easier said than done. <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah. And I, yeah. And even when we know these strategies, right? I'm a psychologist. Like I know these strategies. It's yeah. hard to implement in the moment. So, you know, of giving course. ourselves that that space as parents too and that grace, right? Like yes. this is a learning experience. We're both getting better That's at it. this. Yeah. It's good enough parenting, right? And clients say that to me often like, oh, your kids are so lucky to have you as a mom. And I often say, I mean, yes, I think my kids and I are exactly what we need for each other. We're a great fit. But and yes, I, I feel grateful to have the tools and strategies at my disposal, but I also have me, <laughs> like Tamara. Right. And there are going to be lots of barriers to accessing those tools at times. And yes. so whether it's my own exhaustion, whether it's my own triggers, whether it's whatever, you know, it's going to happen to me too, mm-hmm. regularly, not just exceptionally every once in a while, like yeah. regularly. But good enough parenting is exactly that. It is good enough and it's what our kids need, right? Yeah. Absolutely. I agree. Thank you so much. So where where can folks learn more about you? Where should we go? Sure. So you can visit my website, which is drtamarasouls.com. And you can see my Instagram page on there. You can see my upcoming courses and when my course is launching again in the fall. That's on there. You can also get my mailing list there if you want weekly parenting tips sent out. Um, And I also have a free PDF about four kind of overlooked reasons why kids may be melting down. So um, we kind of know the usuals, but I compiled this list of four that I see so often that we kind of confuse for opposition, but really there are other underlying causes for those. So if that's interesting to people, they can get that on my website as well. Fantastic. I'll put that link to your website in the show notes as well so folks can find you. Thank you so much for being here with us today. That was so much valuable information. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. You're very welcome. All right, everyone, that's a wrap. I'm Dr. Nicole Byers, and this is the Bold Life Podcast. 